can find me. I'll, I'll just talk loudly in the interim. Oh, there you go. You got me. Hayden, have you got me there? Cool. Uh, so I was in the great city of Tlaibecha, or Port Elizabeth, as it was previously known. Um, I preached in a church called Covenant Grace. Also, they're also CG Church, Common Ground uh, Covenant Grace. And uh, so they talk about CG and CG, and we sometimes talk about CG. So it was really quite. Uh, I felt quite at home. And um, anyway, uh, just uh, you, re- you remember Greg Heasley, who was with us on the sixth of. Uh, well, no, he preached the One Corinthians six about four weeks ago. Um, it's he, he leads in that uh, context there, and so. They were with us, then two weeks later I was with them. I was also with them six months ago. It's not often that we get to be in different churches like that within our advanced family. And I just want you to know how well that church is doing. They're doing so well. They're now at 105% full in their morning meeting and are scratching their heads as to what God's going to be doing through them in the next season whilst their evening meeting is exploding with students. And uh, I just want you to know that because I'd love for you to keep praying for them. They're a brilliant, brilliant church. And, um, and, and we partner with one another within the Advanced Network. I think that church and that leadership, remember um, Greg and Wendy's daughter, Eden, is right now on staff with us leading our Ignite ministry as well. And uh, I think into the future, increasingly, we'll be partnering with those guys more and more. So open your hearts when we talk about Covenant Grace Church in PE. Be lean in and see how you can pray for those guys as well. The other thing I was doing in PE was South African Nipper or Junior Life Saving Nationals. And uh, my children, Ben and Bethany, were involved, and they just knocked it out the park. And I just had to share that with you. Um, and so, uh, anyway, it was fantastic. Uh, one announcement I want to make before we go any further. Guys, this is something we started last year. We, we instituted what we call Holy Week, the week from Monday leading up and culminating on Easter Sunday. What does Holy Week look like in Common Ground South Penn? Can we bang up this, the community celebration night? We want to launch Holy Week on Monday the 11th of April. That's not this Monday, the next Monday's time. Here, 5.30 you can arrive, but as soon as you like after work can get there. Until 8 o'clock, it's not going to run late because we know there's school and work the next day. Uh, 50 Rand, we're going to put this as a donation, um, but so if you, if you don't have that, please don't let that get in the way, um, just come anyway and we'll work it out, uh, and 30 Rand per child under 12, what's going to happen? Myself and James are going to take about 70 kilograms of pork, and we're going to pop it in a pizza oven, and we're going to cook it for about 8 hours. Okay, so that when you arrive, it's here, ready to go, chopped up, and in, ready to go in some nice rolls. We're going to ask everybody to bring a salad with, uh, or a side with, and we're going to have a bit of a feast as we come together and just celebrate being together in the body of Christ, and, and we'll hear a message as we launch Holy Week together. We're going to uh, also, in the, in the week leading up, on the Sunday before, we're going to send you a message with a PDF on the broadcast list or the weekly mailer. You're going to receive a PDF with a daily reading for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. The idea being you start the day in the morning by reading the scripture with three simple questions to grapple with. The rest of the day, that same scripture is in your mind, sort of marinating in your mind. And then on Monday night, we're going to hear a message from that scripture. On Tuesday night... You're going to have a moment on your own. Here's how to do that. Around the table, if, if you're a family, um, invite a friend if you're single as well. Do this with someone. You're going to hear a message. And now the idea being is there's four candles, one for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I know we don't normally do candles, and this is a little bit new, and so try something with us. Okay. Monday night, you light four candles. You're going to be here at church anyway, so don't even worry about Monday night. Tuesday night, you light three candles at your house. And you switch off all the lights. It's like load shedding. 
and you listen to a message. Okay, yeah, imagine, load shedding, right? You and your kids or you and your friend, and you listen to this message, and then you just land it in prayer together. The same on Tuesday night, except if you're in a life group. Join with your life group. We're going to do that same thing together. Thursday night again, on your own or with the friend that you invite, each night there's one less candle until Thursday night you blow out the final candle, you finish in prayer, awaiting, uh, anticipating fr- Good Friday as we gather together in our church meeting, knowing where Christ is that night. We, we're going to follow um, Luke's account of leading up to the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus as a church, as we just immerse ourselves in his narrative as he tells us the story of Christ's final moments of his life before his resurrection. And so anticipate the PDF. Prepare yourself. We're killing all activity in our church that week except for our feast, okay, in order to protect Holy Week and these reflections together. It's the one week where we're just saying, you know what, Easter is not just a long weekend. It's the climax of the Christian calendar. And that week we're going to set it aside to have Christ be working in us. And I want to ask you to join us as a people. Does that make sense? Great. Right. This is why we're here. We're, 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 as a church, we're working through the book of James, right? And, and James, uh, we've broken into four mini-series. We're uh, in week two of our second mini, of our first mini-series, sorry. And James is grappling with trials. Uh, if you haven't got one of these, I'd encourage you to pick up one of these, okay? Uh, the, the, as you walked in, you can get them there. We put a SnapScan code. They're 10 bucks. If you don't have bucks, please don't worry about it. You can slip cash in. You can, you, can, um, you can also pay next week as well. But please take one of these. For taking notes, each one of these blocks of text is a sermon in the first mini-series. And so that's what we're going to do. You can bring it along to Life Group to bring your notes for discussion. Make sense? Okay, let's jump in. First mini-series, James is looking at trials. He's looking at a faith that grows through trials. Last week, James kicked us off in the flesh. Um... And he kicked us off with a critical scripture from the book of James. Count it pure joy when you go through trials of many kinds. Because as we go through trials, trials form us into Christ-likeness. I missed the message, as I said, I was in uh, PE. And so I went and I watched it on YouTube. It was a brilliant message. James, you knocked it out of the park, buddy. Well done. Um, It was amazing. And he spoke basically in a nutshell, a faith that grows through trials perseveres through trials toward maturity. He spoke about the important role that trials play in our lives, that our character as human beings is in a sense almost like a muscle. Our character is formed like a muscle is formed. They grow under resistance, not under ease and comfort, right? Next week, we've got Don who leads Constantia Berg Congregation. He's going to be with us here preaching uh, through a true identity, how in the midst of both trials and wealth, uh, we need to not lose sight of, who, of our identity in Christ and what that looks like. And today, we're going to be working through James chapter 1, verse 5 to 8, as James gives us a survival guide for trials, if you will. I'm going to share with you, uh, we'll read the scripture, I'll share a big idea, and we'll look at three simple keys that James gives us. Let's jump in together. James chapter 1, verse 5 to 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. 
For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double, he's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let's pray together. Father, as we come before you, as we come before your word, we ask, Lord, would you speak to us? Speak to us uh, about who you are, God. Speak to us about what it is you've done through the gospel. And speak to us of how we can live in light of that, I pray. Take a second to ask Christ to speak to you as you sit there. Hey, if you're not a Christ follower, pray, God, if you're real, would you speak to me today? Speak to me from your word. Amen. So we grapple with this scripture. I want to put before you the big idea. A faith that grows through trials draws wisdom from the good God. A faith that grows through trials draws wisdom from the good God. Now, remember who James is writing to. James is writing to a group of of Christians, a group of Christ followers, who've been scattered through the persecution that has come to the early church. I mean, these guys once had lands. They maybe once had wealth, but they've lost everything. They've lost their inheritance. They've lost their lands, which is the equivalent today of losing your business because you're fleeing because of persecution, all through their followership of Jesus. They're in the furnace of hardship. And here's the thing. There's no sign on the horizon that things are getting easier. I mean, COVID came along. We were all kind of mindful. Hey, this is, you know, is it going to be with us just till Easter initially? We thought, you know, and then maybe it was a year, maybe it's two years. But there was hope on the horizon. You know, it wasn't always going to be like this. What do you do? James is a church leader. Imagine you, James, you're a church leader and you're writing to believers who are going through horrific trials and it just seems unrelenting. There's, there's, it, it looks like there's no change coming. And so in a sense, one of the things James does, among other things, is he writes them a survival guide. He's, hel- he's helping people navigate these trials. And, uh, and last week he spoke through the, the, the importance of persevering and how when we persevere through our trials in God's ways, it leads to maturity. And this week he adds asking for wisdom uh, as such a critical ingredient to how we go through trials. We grow through trials by asking for wisdom. And the good news is that as we ask for wisdom, God is single-minded in giving it to us. You see, one of the ways that trials grow us is they cause us to depend on God. They cause us to depend on God in ways that we don't when things are going particularly well. So if you're new and you're visiting... We'll have a bit of a motorbike parade that comes past every Sunday morning, and they do this on their bike run, and anyway, we roll with it, hey? We, we, we don't learn to depend on God when things are going well. In fact, we live in a world that prizes individual strength and maturity. The more I can endure, right? The more I can stay strong, the better human being I am. And so we learn in life to do everything at our own strength. In fact, we esteem it, don't we, as a mark of maturity, In our modern world, self-sufficiency is a hallmark of someone who is mature. They don't need anybody else. They can stand on their own feet. They they can make it through all things. You're a self-made person. You're independent. You've conquered it all. You're invulnerable. In fact, when someone is going through something difficult or something tragic, we ask how they're doing. Maturity is almost like they're strong, right? They're strong in this thing. The problem is this is opposite to what Christ has taught and modeled to us. Self-sufficiency means we never learn to rely on God. This is not maturity. Self-sufficiency, is, maturity is not not needing to rely on God in the midst of hardship. In fact, it's counter uh, to our maturity in Christ. The, the idea behind trials is that they bring us to the end of ourselves and they force us to rely on God in ways that we never had to when, when we had it all together. 
Mark Deva, in, in, in speaking on this same passage, he says this, In his kindness and love, God puts us in trials and circumstances in which we have no option but to trust him. We reach the end of what we can control and engineer and muster and even sometimes endure. Trials strengthen our faith because they cause us to practice putting our trust in God for what we cannot immediately see. Stop and think about it for your life. Trials bring us to the end of ourselves. They bring us to our knees. They force us to rely on community. To what extent have you found your life in trials relying on community? Relying on God. I want you to know how at odds this way of thinking is with the way in which you and I were raised and formed in our world. But the point that James is pointing us towards is dependence and reliance on God. These things are incredibly important in growing us toward Christ-likeness. And so James says if you're going through a trial and if you're going to display Christ in the midst of your hardship, you need to depend on God for wisdom. Wisdom that is sought from God, that enables perseverance, and leads to transforming of our character whilst we're in the furnace. It's worth asking the question, though, what is wisdom? What is wisdom? In, in prepping for this message, I looked uh, to a couple of sources here. Here's the two that I like most resonated with. FAJ. Uh, Hort um, says this, an endowment of the heart and mind, it's something within you and the way you think and the way in which your, your core of your being is wired, an endowment of the heart and mind which is needed for the right conduct in life, which works its way out in how you live even under pressure. Wisdom is the means by which the godly can both discern and carry out the will of God. There's the godly or there's the heart and mind. There's something within me that then enables me to carry out the will of God or right conduct in life, to live in this world in a different way. It's, it's, it's knowing how to please God in all of life's situations and all of life's decisions. I want you to know wisdom is not merely knowledge. It's not intelligence. It's not a high IQ. That's not what James is pointing us towards here. Rather, it's a practical element of knowing how to live out the will and the ways of God. It's, it's integrity between your faith and your life in every situation. And this is the kind of wisdom in the midst of trials that James says is so important. And it cannot be made up for by human effort. We have a supernatural faith, guys. Christianity is not just a good idea. And, and, and as much as you think about it, and it makes sense logically, and, and if, if you press me, I, I want to say to you, there is no worldview that makes better sin, sense of my existence, your existence as a human being in this world. I'm so, I'm so uh, encouraged by the sense with which Christianity makes of life. But I want you to know it's more than just a logical, rational way of thinking. It's a supernatural faith. And James is fighting for that. James is Jesus' brother, his, his biological younger brother. There's something so profound must have happened in James's life. I mean, for him to be able to worship Christ as Lord. None of my siblings are ever uh, going to see me like that. I just want you to know that, right? What was it? James saw Christ resurrected and he knew he's Lord. 
There's something supernatural that he witnessed. And so James says there's a supernatural wisdom that you and I as Christ followers have access to and must access in the midst of our trial, which comes only by prayer and reliance on the Holy Spirit. You will never be able to live in the ways and the wisdom of God without coming to depend on God for what you do not have in and of yourself the wisdom and his ways that he gives to us by his spirit. We need to learn to live in dependence on the Holy Spirit for his wisdom. Because we need more than what we possess to live in his ways. It's not a wisdom that you just learn from life experience. It comes from God. And if you're a Christ follower, you have access to it. This link between wisdom and the Holy Spirit in, in James is so it's so critical. In fact, there's some commentators who see the word wisdom in James as a metaphor for the Holy Spirit. I, 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 I don't see it the same way as them, but I think they're onto something in terms of the link between our dependence and reliance on the Spirit of God with us and the wisdom that we need in life. Does this describe how you live? Common grounders in South Penn. I mean, I want to call us to be a people in this peninsula who live counterculturally, who live in every situation in the ways and wisdom of Christ. But you can only do that if you're coming to depend and you're leveraging all the resources that Christ gives you. Otherwise, it's unfair. It's expecting too much. You know, it's unreasonable. But, but, I, but I can call us to say, let's live in the ways of heaven in this moment now in the peninsula on earth. As we draw from the resources we have in Christ. Now, does this describe your life? Are you prayerfully living, dependent on Christ for his wisdom as you live your life? Or are you missing out on what James deems to be a vital ingredient for maturing in life and in trials? Take a second. How are you doing? Does it... Does it Resonate with how you live and who you are. Let's press on. We're looking at faith and how faith, uh, how, how our trials, because of our faith and our dependence on God, mature us and grow us into Christ-likeness. We need wisdom from God. We draw wisdom from the good God. James continues by giving us a trial survival plan, if you will. And there's three parts to this trial, trial survival plan. Three questions I'm going to break it down by. Number one, what are we meant to do? Number two, who are we meant to ask? And number three, how are we meant to ask it? And James guides us through all of these. What are we meant to do? Who are we meant to ask? And how are we meant to ask it? Number one, what are we meant to do? Ask wisdom ongoingly. Ask for wisdom ongoingly. Five, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask, right? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask. We're to ask ongoingly. James says the first thing that we should do when we find ourselves in trouble is to come before God and ask him for wisdom. Why not strength? Why not escape? I mean, if, you, if, if, I'm, if I'm James and I'm writing in, in, my, in my own self, I'm going, God, give me, give me strength to endure or give me, give me escape, God. Give me a way out of this. And James says, no, you, you need something more than escape and you need something more than wisdom. You, I mean, more than mature, more than, what's the other word I said? Strength. Thank you. Just a test. Just a test. 
You need wisdom. Why wisdom? Because wisdom is the way that leads to maturity in the midst of trial. It's the way in which you grow and are transformed and come out of the trial on the other side, a different human being able to glorify God in ways you weren't before. God doesn't remove our tests from us. He doesn't also just let us distract ourselves with other things in life so that we don't have to think about them. But he presences himself with us in these things and gives us wisdom to transform us and enable us to live in new ways. Now, why do I say ask ongoingly? Because we miss it in the English here. The Greek word here for ask is in a tense that implies to ask ongoingly, to keep on askingly, to, to be asking. I'm not speaking of chanting over and over again. No, that's not what it is here. But, but it's, James is saying it's not a once-off ask. It's not a quick prayer that we fire off in the moment and then forget about it and move on. It's a way of It's an ongoing almost dialogue with God in the midst of the trial you're going through. It's continual prayer. God, I need you in this thing. As your day goes on, as as you you move through your hours of the day, you're with God. You're mindful of Him. You're drawing from Him that which you need in, in your trial. The Holy Spirit is our God. He's our illuminator. He's our empowerer, and we learn to draw from Him. I've learned so much through Rigby in this. I must be, if you're a visitor, you may not know who Rigby is. Rigby, uh, Rigby 25 years ago, planted Common Ground Church. And, uh, and, and as a congregation leader, before we became um, nine independent churches as Common Ground in February this year, uh, we were one church, many congregations. And as a congregation leader, Rigby... I got to sit under his leadership, and you know what? I still do, just by leaning in anyway. I learned so much from Rig, and the way in which he, he in particular, his prayer walking. Rigby is like relentless with his prayer walking. I, I put it to you as, a, as something that has so powerfully inspired me. That guy, Rig and Sue will prayer walk together multiple times in a week. All the time they're walking and they're talking and they're praying with God. There's this ongoingness to their prayer life of walking and talking and being with God. And how much of his prayer walks have shaped his life and his decision making and our church by, uh, by vicariously through him as well. Uh, and so I've seen this lived out and it's something that I'm wanting to embody and imbibe in my life too. It's been such a privilege of being able to lead in proximity to Rigby, having seen this. And I want to put it to you and commend it to you as a way of life to ongoingly engage prayerfully with God, drawing from Him what you need to live in His ways. Does it make sense? But I think we struggle with this today, don't we? I think we struggle because we've become so instant. We've become so driven by speed and rush and progress We've been conditioned through fostered devices and better internet, and, and, and it's always available. And, and Google can answer my questions any moment. It's with me every day, right? I don't need to wait. It's just there. So I want information, and I want answers immediately. And so I think we struggle with not being in the know. We struggle with not being in control. And so we're good at shooting up quick prayers to God and then moving on to the next thing. But to be at place in the tension of this thing not being sorted out and maybe no hope with it being resolved and to still be able to draw from Christ. God, I need you. God, help me. I need your wisdom, God. I, I, I know you've got me in this. 
it's this place that we struggle in. And drawing peace from Christ in the midst of uncertainty, I think, evades us. I think we struggle too because we become so feelings-based. And so if I don't instantly feel something, then it's not working. And yet... James says, no, this is something you know. Ask, ask ongoingly in, in dialogue with God, in dependence on God, uh, mindful that He is with you in, in, in the place you're in. It's living out prayerful dependence on God, mindful of His presence with you. What do you do? You ask, you ask ongo- ongoingly. The second thing you do is, um, or the, the second uh, strategy James gives us here is who do we ask? And, and here's the answer. God, the single-minded, generous giver. Who do we ask? God, the single-minded, generous giver. James continues, and he said, God, who gives generously to all without reproach. God, who, who is God who gives generously to all without reproach. Remember who God is, James says. We miss this in the English again. It just says generous in, in most of our Bibles. Some of them will use the word liberally as well. But but what James is using in Greek here, without getting too fancy, is he's, he's got this idea in his mind of the single-mindedness of God. God is single-minded. The single-mindedness of God who gives liberally. That's actually, if you translate this directly into to English, you get the single-minded liberal giving of God. What James wants us to understand here, what does single-mindedness mean, is the intent of God toward you and towards me. That God is the same toward you in attitude yesterday, today, and forever. His heart toward you is undivided. He's not this way one way or one day and then another way the next day, right? His attitude toward you is, uh, is aligned to his character. And he has complete integrity to be able to, to always be the same way towards us in terms of attitude. And we struggle with this because we waver, don't we? We change. We're up and down. We get tired. We get moody. We get overcome with our emotions, our fears. Our energy wanes. And we we project this onto God. We think that's what God is like. But God is not like that. I um, just had an epic fail now just recently. In fact, preparing for this sermon. We'd been away for a week at SA Champs um, and was on leave and then returned. And you know what happens as you grow up in life, you take leave, but stuff just piles up for you, right? It waits for you to come back. And, um, and then a bunch of stuff piles, piles up and when you come back. And then it's school holidays for my children, right? And so, uh, and so these things culminate, right? And I'm busy preparing for this sermon, right? And I've just had relentlessly Ben and Bethany and Jack coming at me. Oh, daddy, daddy, daddy. Blah, 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 blah. And eventually Bethany comes to me and she says, Dad. And before she even gets to say anything else, I literally cut her off and interrupt her and say, before you even ask me, the answer is no. I'm just trying to prepare the sermon. You see, my heart as a father was divided between what she needed me to do and what I needed me to do in that moment as well. And, and, and that's bad parenting, just, just, just heads up. I'm, I'm, and, and as I say that, I need to articulate that to her uh, as well. But God's not like that. God, God, God doesn't have these, oh, which way am I going to go? How am I going to manage it? Oh, there's just so many things. I've got such a crisis. Ah! That's not God. 
no, no, no. God's heart is integrous. His character and his attitude towards you are always aligned. You know, it's not like oh, Monday, a good day, Tuesday, which day, is it, which day am I going to get him on? You know, James is saying, no, God is single-minded in his attitude towards him. He's undivided in every circumstance in life. He generously gives wisdom. He doesn't criticize. He doesn't shake his head in disapproval. Rather, he generously gives to his children. So much, friends, of the Christian life comes down to who you understand God to be, what you understand God to be like. And James is saying, this is who God is. Come and ask him ongoingly, but, but, but know who you're asking. God is single-minded in his generosity towards us. He's not a vending machine. He's not an uncaring critic. He's not a schizophrenic boss. None of these things. God is a generous, empowering father whom we come to. But here's the third question that James, in a sense, leads us or gives us the answer to. How are we to ask? How are we to ask? And the answer is, like God with single-minded faith. The sweet spot in the midst of the trial is where the heart of your single-minded father meets with the single-minded faith of the believer. It's the single-minded heart of the father with the single-minded faith of the believer. And that, friends, in the trial makes all the difference. It's how you grow and you mature and you make it through the trials that you face. But it's both tricky and where we want to live, isn't it? So James says this, But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. As I was making my way here, the southeaster was fouling up False Bay, as it always does, you know, and it's topsy and it's turvy and it's up and it's down and it's just never quite the same. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. James now tells us how we should ask and how we're not to ask. He says the kind of faith that receives wisdom is the kind of faith well, that doesn't doubt. And the kind of faith that does doubt is the kind of faith that doesn't receive wisdom. It's an undivided faith. We need to double click here. The picture James gives us is the surface of the sea. It's always changing. It's never the same. It's uncertain, right? One day you believe in God. The next day you're trying something else. One day you're trusting the wisdom of God. The next you're trying the wisdom of the world. And James uses this descriptor of the sea. And then he coins a phrase that we use today that I think this is the first time, as some commentators say, the first time this phrase was ever coined of being double-minded in our faith. Double-minded is a a word that James seems to have put together here. And what double-minded means, it's not just any doubt. We all have little doubts that we have. But double-minded is is the serious kind of doubt that James is getting at here. It's sitting on the fence between faith in God and faith in something else. It's a dual allegiance between God and the world, or God and yourself, or God or some other contender God. There's no integrity of soul that's happening here. And James says you might as well be tossing a coin in a wishing well. You might as well be wishing upon a star. This is a very strong kind of doubt that James is getting at. It's a doubt in which the heart is divided in its attitude towards God. I wonder if that's some of us here today. Which means we doubt the character and the nature of God toward us. One day we think of God as a generous giver of wisdom. The next day, I can't really trust you, God. I'm going to have to take this on my own. I'm going to have to try something else. 
Faith, we often, we often, when we think of faith, we often make it about the amount of faith we have. We always think of faith as much or small. But the more important thing about faith is not so much the amount, it's more the object of your faith and who you know that object to be. James calls us to a genuine trust in who God is, how we think about God, which enables us to call upon Him and to trust Him in our hour of need. And I think it's exactly what we see Jesus modeling to us in the Garden of Gethsemane, isn't it? As Jesus is approaching the fiery furnace of of the crucifixion, the greatest trial that I think any human being could ever face. And Jesus, in Luke chapter 22, will come to it in Holy Week in our readings He says, this is what Luke says of Christ in the garden. He says this of Jesus. Luke 22, verse 39. And he came out and he went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. This is Jesus. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them a stone's throw. And he knelt down and he prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. What's Jesus doing? He's saying, I feel this way. I need your wisdom, Lord. I need your wisdom. It's coming. I can see the furnace coming. The trial is coming. God, I need you. If, If there's another way, God, but not my will, your will be done. Jesus comes before God in the midst of the trial, and he's engaging with the person of God. It's not just a prayer that he's reading to kind of tick the box. No, this is the person, the living human being that is Christ in that moment, engaging with the person of God in prayerful dependence, asking him for wisdom in the moment he's about to enter into the into the furnace. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will be done. God, I want, I want your will to be done. God, I need your will to, my will and your will to be the same so that I can, I can live in your ways in the midst of this hardship. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven who strengthened him. Our faith is a supernatural faith. We ask for wisdom, we get strength thrown in as well. You know, it's beautiful. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly and sweat um, became like great drops of blood falling down from the ground. It's this picture here of Christ himself going uh, with, with trials on the horizon, coming to God and drawing from God wisdom and strength and courage to live in the ways of God. He's trusting in the single-minded goodness of his Father in the most fiery furnace any human being could ever go through. He trusts in God who is faithful, and God gives him wisdom, and God gives him strength, and Christ endures, and he lives in God's ways, and he inherits all the glory that God has for him. And James is saying to us, this is a model for you too. God, who is real and present with you, draw from him. Know who he is. He's the good God, undivided in how he sees you. His attitude is, is, is generous towards you, present with you, to draw from him wisdom to live in his ways. Uh, about five years ago, Bethy was, Bethy was five, and um, sitting on the couch one day, and um, she just, I know, she had this terrible habit. She would, um, like, I don't know why, but she threw her head back like this, and the kitchen counter was behind her, and she split her head right open. And, um, and, and, I, and I know, you know the moment as a parent. You know, we've got to go to the doctor here, and this is going to be messy, right? 
it was significant. And um, I remember we were driving there, and another friend, another couple um, took our kids home with them, other kids home with them, and Lauren and I had to drive her to the hospital. And I remember sitting with her on the hospital bed the moment before she's about to receive this injection. Bethy hates injections, and now she's, you know, I don't want to get into too much detail, but, uh, but, but I just remember sitting with her as her dad and holding her like this. And she just tucked her head into my chest like this, and I just said to her, my girl, it's going to be about 20 or 30 seconds. It's going to be sore, but this is good for you. And everything in her just wants to, I'm sure, just to run away. I mean, I ran away. I was, ran in a circular building away from a dentist when I was five. I remember doing that. I didn't know it was circular. I just, but she just sat there and she just took it because why? Well, she didn't want pain, but she knew in the moment I can trust my father. And she did. And I want to put it to you, guys, we go through things in life that are hard, and sometimes we don't understand. But James is saying to us here, your God, your Father, is single-minded in His generosity towards you. And He has sent us His Spirit to be with us, to give us everything we need to be able to live in His ways in the midst of whatever we go through, even if you can't see on the horizon that, it's going to, that, that, that there's an escape hatch or something. And James is writing to these Christ followers as he writes to us and he says, trust in the goodness of your father and know, know, single-mindedly, know you can depend on him for everything you need to live in his ways. That's how we do it as common grounders in South Bend. Can I pray for us? And then can I just invite the band to come up and allow you to put this into practice? I'm so aware that there are many of us today who are in the midst of fiery trials. And James says to us, ask, ask. And so let me lead us through a prayer as we do just what James says. Can we stand together? Just worth changing posture. You've been sitting for a long while. And let's come before God, the living God. The living God who Jesus interacted with in the garden in his trial. The living God who 2,000 years ago, Jesus' younger brother, pointed Christians in the midst of a fiery trial with no hope of relent or release on the horizon to come and to meet with and to draw from and to ask him for wisdom. Take a second as you stand there. Let's make this our prayer. Will you do business with Jesus? Your words. Let's put this into practice right now. God, we recognize this morning that we need more than what we have, more than what we have in our minds, more than what we have in our hearts, more than our own intelligence, more than our bank accounts, more than our life experience, God. To live in the extraordinary ways you call us to live. To become the extraordinary human beings you've called us to become. We need more than what we possess. And yet we have it in you, Christ. God, this morning we ask you for wisdom. An alignment of our hearts and minds with your heart and mind that enables us to live in our world, your ways, and your wisdom, Lord Jesus. So mindful, Lord, for some of us today, it's actually a forsaking 
of something else this morning that grasping your wisdom starts with. I wonder if that's you to take a second and say, Christ, actually, I've been, I've been that double-minded person. I've been one day trusting you, sort of, and the next day trusting. I've been hedging my bets, so to speak, Lord. And I want to live today in that sweet spot of your single-minded, generous, generous heart toward me and my single-minded faith and knowing of you, God. Would you bring me to that place today? As I, forsaking all others, ask you, Jesus, to lead my life, to follow in your ways. Would you give me wisdom, Christ? Let's sing together. Continue to pray where you stand.